Father, this evening we just thank you for life. We thank you for the your protection through the day, for your provision, for bringing us safely into your house. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, Father, even as we are here, I pray the purpose for which we came would be fulfilled, that we would hear you speak to us. Your word enjoins us as you see, see the day approaching. Do not stop gathering. Keep gathering and encourage yourself. We have come. Because we see that day coming closer and closer. So you speak to us, Lord. Prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts. That we order our lives. That as we sang, you would truly be the center of everything. That love for you would consume our hearts, O Lord. Touch us. Help us to hear, help us to believe. Help us to be still and know that you are God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So even as we continue our study on spiritual preparedness, one thing consistent about in the scripture about Jesus' second coming, not the first coming, actually the first coming and the second coming as it is given in the Bible is so different. Meaning in the second coming what is so consistent throughout scripture is the element of surprise. Not the first coming. First coming the details were so vividly given that the fact that they missed his coming itself is a surprise. Down to the little town. Everything was given in detail. He shall be born of a virgin, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Everything, everything is given. There was not meant, that was not meant to be a surprise. But when it comes to the second coming, everything in the Bible, whether it was spoken directly by him or through the apostles, what is consistent is the element of surprise. Over and over and over it is repeated. No man knows the hour or the time or the day or I will come like the thief in the night. All we are told by everyone in the new covenant is to be watchful and to be prepared. He spoke privately to the disciples in Matthew 24 and verse 3 scripture says he privately. Now he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming. It's a very private conversation like at a dinner table. Very private family conversation. He and the twelve disciples. The reason we say this is that you know, in a very public setting where there are hundreds or maybe thousands of people, you see always uh, politicians' emotions take over and then they don't know what they say. Then they have to eat their words literally. But Jesus, it's a very private conversation. Very clearly told to the disciples. He's not making any mistake. Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So it's a very clear, concise, careful teaching. He spoke publicly in the court. Kangaroo court, but still the court of the Sanhedrin. In Mark 14, verses 60 to 62. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. 
Again the high priest asked him saying to him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? One question. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? One question, three answers. He said, I am. One. Two. You will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power. Three. And coming with the clouds of heaven. In court, he says, I will come back. You will see me sitting on the right hand of God and you will see me coming back. So his second coming is not a joke. In private with his disciples, in public before the Sanhedrin, before the court, and then in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Has ever an angel lied in the Bible? On the other hand, when you don't believe what the angel said, you were struck dumb. So, he's coming. Whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, he is coming. And the only thing that is told is, be prepared each day, live in the light of his second coming. So the main thrust, if you study the new covenant of all the apostolic epistles, every epistle from Romans down to the book of Revelation, is the second coming of Jesus Christ and preparing a people for it. That's the reason the epistles were written. The epistles were not written to the unsaved. No. The gospels are in so many ways written to everybody. People read the gospels and get saved. But the epistles are written to the saved to prepare them for one purpose. That is, he's coming back. And when he comes back, better be sure and better be prepared when he comes. So Jesus never lies. He never speaks without meaning what he says. He never exaggerates. He never exaggerates. You know, he never exaggerates. You know, like, if somebody were to ask, how many people were there for, for the midweek service? I will say, oh, around 100. Maybe 30. Jesus, on the other hand, scripture will record he fed 5,000 when there was 15,000. No politician will say that. If there are 5,000, he will say 50,000 plus. Okay, scripture says 5,000 men alone, women and children beside, but 5,000. He said those things don't matter. No exaggeration. When we heal a headache, we wanted to make into a TV testimony. When Jesus raises somebody from the dead, he says, don't even speak about it. So you need to realize, this is not a person who exaggerates. When he says something repeatedly, over and over and over and over in scriptures, then we need to be careful. We need to be careful. So tonight we will turn to one of the parables of Jesus, again connected with his coming. Different ways, in so many different ways he tries to get our attention. This time he talks about a wedding banquet. Okay, This is in Matthew 22. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. 
Again he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calf and are killed. All things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, other to another to his business. And the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So now again he's talking about his second coming in the terms of a wedding banquet. And from this we know the king is his father and he is the son. It is his wedding we are talking about because no king on earth casts anybody into outer darkness. So it is, he's talking about himself. So his second coming will result in the wedding of the Lamb. Now let's look at verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Right? Next verse. What did he say? And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. So there were two invitations. Those who were invited to the wedding are being called. Now the feast is ready. So this this is the second call. This is not the first call. The first call is when we are saved. The second call is to get ready for the wedding banquet. This call is only going to those who were invited. It's a usual Jewish system. Custom, old custom. When they have a wedding, first you send an invitation and when the time comes, you second the second invitation. Okay, there are two invitations. Telling them all arrangements. I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calf. All those Gaurakshaks will be very upset with these words. But all my oxen and fatted cattle are killed. There's going to be beef there. And all things are ready. Come to the wedding. You see, please come. But strangely, it is written. They, verse 3, verse 3. It is written, uh, they were not Willing to come. It's written, right? The urgency is there. Everything is ready. They were not willing. And verse 5 says, they made light of it. They didn't take it very seriously. So this is talking about those who heard the gospel. Those who had received the invitation the first time. They took it lightly. They were not willing And scripture says the reason, one to his own farm, another to his business. One went to his farm, another to his business. 
So what is happening over here? What is happening? We'll see. Jesus has explained this one verse in another parable. So we'll look at that also in conjunction with this. In Luke 14, verses 16 to 24. Then he said to them, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Did you see again? Two calls. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And sent his servant at supper time. When it is very close to the actual event, there is a second call. Say to those who were invited, to all those who received the gospel, a second invitation is going on. The wedding feast of the Lamb is ready. Be prepared, be prepared, come. For all things are now ready. But they all with one accord. Suddenly there is a unity in the church. One accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I ask you to have me excuse. One went to his land. Remember the other one? Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excuse. Business. Sorry, you know, I'm, I, I'm busy. And the third one is very difficult to refuse this excuse. I have married a wife. Thank God he married a wife. <laughs> and therefore, I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is still done as you commanded, and still there is room. The master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So, let us look at what are the issues here. Verse 18 will say, They all started making Excuses. They all with one accord began to make excuses. When it comes to salvation, we accept. Okay, I don't want to go to hell when I die. Okay, I want to go to heaven. But when it comes to preparing for the bridegroom's feast, there demands something from us. People start making excuses. The first one he says, I bought a piece of land. 21st century means I deal in real estate. Okay. No problem. Is there anything, anything wrong in dealing with real estate, buying and selling land? God has no issues with that. Verse 19 says, others said I have bought five oxen of, yoke of oxen. Let's say today, who wants oxen these days? I bought five cars. I'm testing them out. Okay. Trading? No problem. Verse 20 is the only thing that is common in all ages. I married a wife. And therefore I cannot come. Is marriage the problem? No. So then what is the problem? In Matthew 24, 36 to 42, Jesus will say, Of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. Everything was going on, business was going on, land deals were going on, trade was going on, marriage was going until the day Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, next verse. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. That's the key. All were encased in these parables in normal, legitimate activities. Okay? They are not involved in any illegitimate activities. It doesn't say one was involved in the black market. No. White only. Remember when the invitation went, they took it lightly and made an excuse. I just bought a field. So buying the field is not the issue. Because scripture says, there were two in the field, one was taken. So the problem is not business. There were two in the field. One had taken the preparation of the coming of the Lord lightly, while the other had taken it very seriously even when he was in his business. So he was taken, the other was left behind. So the problem is not in buying or possessing or working the field, but of not being prepared while you do it. Because God expects you to be working, but God expects you to be also equally prepared while you are working. The story of a man passing by another guy who is building his house. So he asked him, the Lord is going to come soon. No, sir, why are you building the house? He says, if he comes, you can take my house. I am building. I am prepared. On the other hand, if he comes while I am building, I will go, you take my house. I am okay. So your work, our work or our business or our possessions is not necessarily the problem. It's not necessarily the problem because you will see there were two, one was taken. There were two, one was taken. All working in their business, in their field, students in the classroom, university, you name it, doesn't matter. God says, I expect you to be working. But I expect you to be prepared even as you are working. You don't take my call lightly. So is marriage the problem? Let us look at Luke 17 and verse 34. I tell you in that night there will be two men in one bed and one will be taken and the other will be left. Okay, this is a more complicated translation but actually it says two in a bed. So, you have your newly married wife and you are there in the bed with her. But you can go to bed prepared. One was taken, one was left. So, relationship is not the problem. Relationship is not the problem. The problem is, you can go to bed. You can have close relationships, legitimate relationships on earth, 
and yet be prepared for the coming of the Lord. God is not saying that the way of preparing for the coming of the Lord is to leave everything and everybody and go to some mountain and sit there waiting. But he's not talking about it. He says, absolutely be involved. But be also absolutely be prepared. The issue is, God says, how do we prioritize life? What are our priorities in a day? Peter was leading, was saying, let's reflect for a moment today. And the song, the last song was beautiful because it went in with the message. Is Was he really the center of our being wherever we went? Because nothing in life is more important than that royal invitation. Because excuses, all of them had excuses, are generally self-focused and self-absorbing. So that a person can justify themselves. It didn't begin yesterday or today. It began 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden. Excuses are basically to cover our lack of loyalty to God. This woman you gave. Who said that? Adam said that. But really? What did she do? Tie you up, force your mouth open and put the fruit into your mouth? No. You took it willingly. Why are you blaming her? Because you want to cover yourself. You don't want to say, Lord, I did not listen to you. I did not obey you. I did not put your word above every other thing in my life. I... You're not willing to accept that. What is the excuse? This woman. I bought a piece of land. I bought five yoke of oxen. Our lack of preparedness... The invitation is there. You hear the messages. It doesn't uh, create that enthusiasm with us because we were never prepared daily. There's a preparation for that. You did not take the word of God so seriously. Therefore now we are making an excuse instead of acknowledging that you are saying, you know, this woman. What, what did this woman say? This snake. What did the snake do? Pluck the fruit curl around your neck, open it and put it in. No, you did it willingly. Excuses. Excuses. That's what scripture is talking about. Excuses. They all had excuses. Excuses justify our need not to change. I don't have to change. The woman changes, I'm fine. I don't have to change. You see, I'm not the kind who usually eats fruit. It's this woman. You know, you know, Lord, if you can teach her a good lesson, never off to offer me fruit again, she needs to be straightened up. I am fine. Excuses, usually we have used it to justify our need not to change. The problem is, if you are not changing in the kingdom, you are not growing. You are not growing. If you just have doubts, come home. I will show you my trousers and I will show you my son's trousers. My trousers are 10 years old, 12 years old because I am not growing. His every 6 months, 3 months. Foot size, now it's 12. Why? He's growing. Anybody who has stopped changing has stopped growing. And excuses, excuses, uh, what we use to justify that I don't need to join. I don't need to change. 
excuses also tell that we are satisfied by being mediocre in the kingdom of god it is excellence that god is looking for excuses are because we want to be mediocre now you don't have to be excellent in so many fields but one one field whatever god has given you in that you have to be excellent like iron sharpens iron you have to be excellent in that because it's given to you that's why that man who was given five talents come and says you know that lord i brought five more what does it mean he was excellent in it he was profitable the other guy said you gave me two i brought four one guy said oh you are a hard master i have hidden it take your one he said you are a lazy fellow you didn't want to work hard on what i gave it to you excuses sometimes becomes the language of the victim poor me to seek pity and sympathy oh why were you left behind you don't realize i was so busy involved in his business really how could god come on august 16th when i just got married on 15th poor me if he had come two days earlier i would have been ready see the problem is it is not that i was prepared actually he came at the wrong time i had just got married but the problem in the kingdom is excuses do not stand because there are a few things god has said in john 1:12 scripture says as many as received him to them he gave them the right or the power or the authority to become the children of god what did he give us the power 1 john chapter 5 verse 4 says whatever is born of god overcomes the world because you have been given the power to become the sons of god the daughters of god god's children can overcome and philippians 4:13 the apostle makes it his personal experience and says i can do all things everything that god demands of me i can do it through christ who strengthens me so god says you know what we will have no excuses because we are not called as servants servants have limited authority do this do that children it's a different thing altogether to the children to the son all authority is given so we see in the parables their occupation becomes the basis of their excuse right one said i bought a piece of land another said i bought five yoke of oxen another said i was so busy occupied with my wife we all have occupations thank god for it otherwise you wouldn't be sitting here but if our occupation or our career or our recreation itself becomes more important than the very one who gave us everything and it becomes the excuse for not to be prepared for the banquet god says it can be dangerous can be really really dangerous that's what happened at the first coming in the first coming it is interesting in luke chapter 2 Verse 15 and 6. So it was, this is the angelic host coming to these poor shepherds who were watch, watching their flocks by night. 
It was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord had made known to us. And they came with his. And look at these people. Who are these? Poor shepherds. And what do they have? All these flocks. Now you have heard the news. And what is their occupation? To watch over their flocks. And they are watching over their flocks at night. And they have given an angelic visitation and told the Lord is born. Now they have to choose. Shall I say, oh, but how do I leave my flocks? What if some wolves come or a mountain lion comes and eats two of them? After all, this is all I have. Okay, thank you for the news, but I believe that is what God wants me to do. Watch over this. They didn't say any of those things. You know what it says? They came with haste. They left it all there. Because suddenly now the news that the Messiah has come has bigger than all their occupation and all they possessed. The Messiah has come. They made haste. And what did they find? They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. The only set of people who saw Jesus when he was born. Only set of people. Nobody else. Why? Because they realize the coming of the Messiah was more important than all that they have been doing all these years and the very possession they held. Are you seeing it? They were not too occupied with their business to respond to the message. They said, we heard. The Lord has made known it to us. The Lord has made known to us also. I will come any day, any hour, any time, thief in the night. It's made known to us too. We have heard it over and over, read it over and over. We can now, we are scholars on it. That's not the point. The point is that, are we still occupied with life? Or are we prepared even as we are occupied at the master's business? This next case, we will see again another set. It's a couple of years later in Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in the Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Where did these people come from? They are the Magi. They are rich men. They are wise men. They are rich and wise. Meaning they have businesses. Big multi-million dollar businesses. Wherever they came from. And they are scholars. They spend time studying and searching. But one day they saw a star. One light. And these guys were good. In stars. So they checked in and said, Some unusual event is happening here. Something. They checked it out. They went through all the scriptures they knew. And they realized the sun. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They knew. They knew. How they found out, we don't know. From which prophet, which prophecy of the old they found out, we don't know. But they found out exactly. For we have seen his star in the east. And we have come to worship him. Suddenly, everything else became less important than to find. Their revelation was only a little light. But the light when they searched, they found the Messiah is born. It's going to take them two years for this journey to find him. And why not two years? Because every child under two was killed by Herod. So we also know they saw it when he was born. It's a two year journey from wherever they were. But suddenly they put aside everything. 
Why? Because the revelation that the Messiah is born and the Messiah is the king of the Jews, not even the king of their king, with the fact that he's the king of the Jew, the promised Messiah overrode every other occupation in life. Yet, there were scholars in Jerusalem who knew exactly. When Herod called them and said, where, 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 where? They said, yeah, in Bethlehem. That's where he'll be born. They knew the place. But did they go? No. They did not go. They had the news. They had the witness. A set of people have come thousands of miles searching for this. But they went about their business. They were preoccupied with what they were doing instead to search and find where the child was. So you see this in the first coming. The point here is if we do not see Christ as the end of all things, end of all things, we too will be unprepared. The writer of Colossians, the Holy Spirit in Colossians will say it this way. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. He is not just the center of the being. He is also the being of the center. When you say he is the center of the being, then this all this exists and he is the center. God says he is not the center. Everything exists in him. And he is the head of the body, the church. But in all the things that exist in the universe, principalities, powers, rulers, dominion, thrones and all, when it comes to church alone, he said he is the head of the church and the church is called his body. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have Remember, that's the, the words, this is the verse for those who have come late. This is the verse on which this church is founded eight years ago. This is the verse that was given that in all things he may have preeminence. We see all these occupations. We see all these things. Oh, I bought a piece of land. I'm a businessman. I bought a five yoke of oxen. Oh, I am just married. We see all these things. God sees only Christ. He sees only Christ. He sees only Christ. And God says, do you see only Christ in all things? That's why the last gospel written of the four gospels, the last gospel written, which is the gospel according to John, is the most profound of it all. In it, we, in it what we actually see is God's estimate of Christ. That Christ is all. He is the light of the world. He does not say, I have come to give you light. He says, I am the light of the world. He does not say that I will give you bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. He does not say, I will show you the way. He says, I am the way. He does not say, I will teach you the truth. He says, 
I am the truth. He does not say, I have come to show you the way to life. He says, no, I am the life. He does not say, I will resurrect you when you die. He says, I am the resurrection. What this set of people forgot was that they were so busy with their occupations, they forgot that Christ is our occupation. That's what God is saying. He is everything. He is my occupation. I am not going to lose. Lord Jesus show me light. God says, I can show you. All the Old Testament people are people whom I showed the light. But they still didn't experience me. I am the light. That's what Jesus will say. Your fathers ate the bread, the manna and the desert and they died. Those who partake of me will never die. I am the true bread that has come from the heaven. Do we understand what the parable is talking about? Do we realize suddenly, is Christ my occupation? If at some point Christ doesn't become our occupation, the problem is when there is a pull, we will choose our occupation over Christ. Right? One fellow said, relationship. He said, I just got married. We could have even quoted the law. According to the law which you gave, if I am married, I should be given leave for one year. The law states in the Bible, especially if, if, if you, even if you are in the army, one year off. Here it is a wife, closest in a human relationship. It could be a parent, a child, or anybody close. The royal wedding is at the second coming of Jesus. And the scripture is very clear. When it sets this standard for disciples. And it is based on priority. There is a priority in love too. In Luke 14, <clears throat> now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, Jesus is not a politician. Politician loves crowds. He doesn't. I mean, he doesn't hate crowds, but he will deal with crowds differently. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's not possible. You will be out of the banquet. Because your relationship on earth will take priority over your relationship with me. <coughs> And you cannot say, Lord, how is it possible? He said, two were in the field. One was taken. Two were in the bed. One was taken. Five foolish virgins. Oh, Lord. Five got in. Oh, it is not possible to work so hard faithfully. Five brought ten. Two brought four. Jesus doesn't even have to quote scripture. He says, look, 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 look. Witnesses that it was possible to put Christ first. And they all lived among you. In your same office, in your same home, in the same church, in the same fellowship, you all walked together. But the division was inside, it was not outside. Over and over, this theme God explains in the Bible. You have to prioritize Relationship 
otherwise you will be in trouble when the royal invitation comes you remember abraham tera he couldn't leave his father thank god tera died if he hadn't died he wouldn't have left probably god said enough tera you die so this fellow can move on otherwise this fellow won't leave his father but he is growing once his father dies he leaves the rest and he moves that means you knew his attachment was to his father not to his brother and the others again lord please ishmael god says throw ishmael out it's lord why can't ishmael also be in part of the plan he said it's a question of priority you want me or you want him yet remember the same man will reach that perfection when he takes isaac and ties him on the altar the man who could not leave his father will take the son of his old age and tie him up and lift his dagger and god says that's it you are ready for the banquet relationship won't stop you anymore so we don't have to end the way we started right we can finish well look at the people in the bible rebecca have you seen this man no heard about his father from you so he must be like his father if he anyway like his father then he must be a good man okay finally this is from god you're going to marry this man let's hang around for 10 days and have a big party please ask can we go tomorrow rebecca can we go or oh, you want to stay for 10 days she said i want to go tomorrow do you know this man no have you seen him no have you seen jesus do you really know him other than the testimony of scriptures and the holy spirit no are you ready to go or are we occupied remember hanna how she let go of samuel god i cried and i cried and i cried and i cried and fasted and wept before you for years for this child but i made you a promise you first and he second if you give me a child i'll give the child back to you and as soon as he's weaned lord here is your child you can have him can you be prepared can relationship be prioritized or what about ruth where are all your relatives in moab all the people you know in moab who do you know in israel no one what do you think about you in israel wash basin moab is my wash basin says god that's how israelites look at moabites you're worth all you're spitting at where do you want to go i'm going to israel why because there's a flicker in naomi's life that little light i want to follow what about ezekiel ezekiel tomorrow who will die your life your wife the woman you love will die she will die tomorrow nobody should know only you the same way as you have done every day go stand behind the pulpit and you preach you don't have to show anybody that your wife is dead will you do it yes lord why will you do it for you Are we getting the picture? 
all our occupations and relationships must never take precedence over Christ if we have to be prepared ready as colossians 2:17 says which are a shadow of things to come everything we experience on earth is what a shadow do you want to die for a shadow or you want to live for the real thing the substance is christ marriage is a shadow the substance is the wedding to christ occupation is a shadow the substance is serving god forever in eternity you're working two shifts to buy an apartment but he says i have a mansion for you there why do you miss most of the church meetings because i am trying to save money to buy an apartment god says you got a mansion over there the substance is everything you think about the substance is christ and what happens in the world everybody is chasing shadows and yet there are somebody who know it is a shadow they involved with the shadow but they are after the substance so the day of the lord there is an urgency incredible urgency about the day of the lord in the old covenant in in the book of joel this is what it says this is concerned with the day of the lord the coming of jesus christ second coming blow the trumpet in zion consecrate a fast call a sacred assembly gather the people sanctify the congregation assemble the elders gather the children and the where are the children where are the nursing babies oh no my baby is too small i can't take him to church for a wednesday really really where are the nursing babies where are the children where are the children where are the nursing babies let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room what is this their wedding is fixed for the morning and the cry goes the lord is coming wedding cancelled why let us be prepared for his coming the day of the lord you see the urgency and let the priests who minister in the lord weep between the porch and the altar let them say spare your people o lord do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them why should they say among the peoples where is their god can you imagine the state of god's people who have his name who are left behind the whole world turns around and says where is your god You're talking about your God all these days, right? Where is your God? You see the urgency in the Old Testament. Old Testament, the urgency was because of fear. It's a terror. The New Covenant, it is love. Lord, I love you too much to get involved with anything at the cost of my relationship with you. So we will see the response of the King in Matthew twenty-eight, eight to ten. Then he said to his servants, "The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy." He does not say they were not ready. He says if you are not ready, you are not worthy for the kingdom. Preparedness is the way I tell God, I am worthy for your kingdom, please. I cannot consider myself worthy. My preparedness, your preparedness will show. He's they're not worthy. Go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Go. Just go out. Go to the highways. Get out of the cities. Go to the highways. In Luke fourteen, <coughs> the next one, 
also we will see right so the servant came and reported these things to the master the master of the house being angry said to his servant go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city bring in here the poor and the maimed the lame and the blind he says go get these people who nobody will consider worthy to call for a wedding go let me tell you personal experiences over all these years whenever i have to take meetings in the cities they will always say pastor can you have it on a holiday have it on a holiday and could you time it in such a way that it is convenient whenever i have gone to the villages to the poor they have never bothered whether it's a holiday or a working day and the time was never an issue Why is it? Because we are preoccupied with our occupation. So we have to see God adjust to our time. While the others will adjust any time for God. Want to see? Let's have. Yesterday. See Sister Desi? Back to the villages. Tuesday morning. In the villages do you have trouble getting people? They will leave everything and come. There. There. Jagra. There. There. Savior and Eric in a little hut in the village. No? Even if you provide transport, they won't come. Now, do you see why the Lord said, go to the highways, go to the byways, go to the poor, go to the blind, get them in, they will come. They will come. And if you preach to these people, they will never say stop. They will say don't stop. Don't stop. Ask Vijay. He went once to one small little village. What is its name? Malaya? Okay. Small little village. All sitting. No fan in the height of summer. Sitting over there. They told him don't stop. We don't say stop. But we make signals. You don't get away with that. With me, even in other churches, I tell them, I tell straight away to the pastors that next time in your church, put a clock there, put a clock there, so that at least they will get exercise. Because if they look in one direction, I will not stop. And it's bad for your neck. Jesus preached sometimes for two days. Paul preached through the night, early morning, one fellow fell down, died, <laughs> resurrected him and continued preaching till morning. How would we have survived in that age? <laughs> we would not survive. You know what? They were preparing their people. Why did those who were invited miss the banquet? Because they did not pay attention who was calling them. Who was calling them? That's why Jesus wants in Luke 8. The ones on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while in the time of temptation. They fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with the cares, the riches and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Oh I have bought a land. Oh I have bought five oxen. I just got married. 
Finished. Bible study over. Church attendance over. Where are you? Six months honeymoon. Gone. Missing. But God says, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Bearing fruit with patience and the heart which receives it. So real estate, positions, marriage, all these are normal activities. The normal activities of life are not inherently evil. There is nothing inherently evil about any of this occupation or any occupation. Any one of you are doing There is nothing evil in it. Then how do neutral things become sin for the believer? How do neutral occupations, which are not evil, actually they are good, become evil for the believer? God will tell us in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 to 6. Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses. In the cloud and in the sea. Meaning they went through our own spiritual experiences in their own way. Baptized in water, baptized in spirit. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Same. Everybody is hearing the same word. Drinking and eating of it. Not differently. What happens? But with most of them, God was not well pleased. After all these experiences, you are not pleased with us, Lord. God says, yes, no. Why? And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. After all these experiences, they lusted after evil things. Lord, what are the evil things these people lusted? Scripture tells you. Numbers. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving, lusting. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us some meat to eat? Who told you meat was evil? Is meat evil? Is chicken evil? Men and women are evil. No evil chicken. (laughs) Tasty chicken. Not evil. We remember the fish which he ate freely in Egypt. Is fish evil? Cucumber. I had fish in there for lunch. I'll be having cucumber for salad at dinner. Are they evil? Melons? Then Hyderabad is very evil. Full of melons. Leeks? What about onions? And garlic? They lusted. After these things. How did it become evil? Two reasons. We'll come back to that. What's the reason? First reason. Numbers 11 verse 6. Now a whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. That was the problem. They loved these things more than manna. Therefore, it became evil. God says, if you love anybody, doesn't matter who it is, more than me, then you cannot be my disciple. Out. Is fish evil? Fish is evil if you love it more than Christ. More than obeying Christ. 
That's the first thing. Main thing, remember. When something takes precedence over Christ, even normal, neutral, inherently good things become bad for the believer. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. That's what scripture says. Second thing, go back. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. Did they ever eat anything in Egypt freely? Was anything free? Why were they given that fish? Because they were slaves. And they were given fish so that they would have strength to work for the Egyptians. It was not free. Did the devil give you and me anything freely? No. He gave us everything. The price was our soul. That we serve him in sin. You know what people say? God says, when you are occupied with something and not with my son, you are serving and you are a slave to him and not to me. And you think you are getting it freely. It is not free. The price is your soul. There's nothing free in this world. Absolutely nothing free in this world. Did we see it that way? That's why scripture says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. The devil has made never anybody free. He makes them slaves. But he gives things, blinds our eyes as if they are free. They are not free. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the sum of all things. I am your life. And if you are not satisfied with me, ultimately you will be satisfied with nothing. Not only that, you will be outside the kingdom in the darkness. Why? Why? Because he said all your life you are chasing shadows, not the substance. So, since you chase shadows all your life, now you can go to the ultimate shadow land. What is called? Outer darkness. Go there. That's where. Those who live in the shadows, in eternity should live in darkness. Those who chased the substance who said, I am the light of the world, he said, will dwell with me. He said, you chose. We chose. We chose. And we don't realize this, we make these choices slowly every day. Every day we make these choices. Then in that parable, there is an interesting episode in that parable. In 22 verse 11 and 12. Then the king came in to see the guests. Different stories are told. This, Jesus will put it in different. One place he will say, when the master came and he saw all the servants who had done faithfully, he put a robe and he started serving them. Have you seen that? In the army you will see it when they have their annual, their regular functions in the army with the jawans when it is called their barakhana. You will see all the jawans sitting over there and the colonel and the brigadier will serve them. It happens only in the army. But here, the king of kings, the commander in chief himself will come and serve. But this is not that. He says he came to look at the guests. And he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here? Without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. This is no normal wedding. Normal weddings, the problem is that everyone gets dressed so well, you don't know who is the bride, who is the bridegroom. 
This is the king's wedding. Everyone invited the first time the invitation went, who received the invitation the first time also got a wedding garment. Everybody got a wedding garment. They got a set of wedding clothes. It is the righteousness that comes from God and God alone by faith in Christ. So even those called from the streets were found in wedding clothes. Revelation 3 verses 4 and 5 says, You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So there is a garment. Isaiah 61 and verse 10 will say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So it is there in the Bible. See the problem is, when we are on earth, one may fool the entire congregation. Even the entire eldership, even the pastors, even a prophet with our outward life. But there is one you cannot fool. His eyes can see through true righteousness and false righteousness and he will walk and he says, hang on, what happened to you? How did you get in? And he looks the same to everybody else. God says, no, wait a minute. Where's your wedding garment? And they are all looking. Oh, His eyes see what we don't see. Where's your wedding garment? That's what we see in Revelation 1. Verse 14. 114. And then 17. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow and his eyes were like fire. And when he looked at John, what happened to John? The most beloved of the apostles, scripture says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He saw eyes through his eyes, I fell. And he said, right hand on me, don't be afraid. John, don't be afraid. Jesus gently spoke to him and said, don't be afraid. But in Matthew 22, verse 12, is another thing. He was Oh, if you had asked him on earth how many this thing, you are saved only if you go to church every Sunday. Who told you like that? I can be a believer in my house also. He would argue with pastors, he would argue with the elders, he would argue with the pastor and he would bring all logic and court scriptures. But before Christ you will be speechless. All your arguments and excuses will cease before him because you have nothing to say because you have been exposed as what you really are. You are speechless. Nothing. If you had met this guy on earth, he is the one who used to hold debates with pastors. Why he is saved? He is speechless. Before Christ, no arguments, no excuses. And verse 13, the king's pronouncement is chilling. He says, bind him hand and foot, take him away. Does that ever happen in any wedding? We will say, it's just a wedding, just avoid some embarrassment. Let's not be, create a scene here. Khaane do, jaane do. Not this king. Khaane bhi nahi dega, jaane bhi nahi dega. 
strange, right? You have to look at it and say, Lord, this is not a normal wedding. That's why I keep telling pastors, we never have to be God's PR people. He has no shame. He says, I'm not ashamed. I am light. In my wedding, I will throw people out. If you get in without the right garment. He says, I will, I don't have to f- save my face or anything over here. This is about righteousness. Chilling. Bind him hand and foot. Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I still remember that old joke the old pastor said, you don't have to worry if you don't have teeth. There you will be given a fresh pair. So you can keep on gnashing. Because why? Scripture shall be fulfilled. Even if you die and thrown out with just your gums, suddenly teeth will appear. Then, as we close, there is another interesting aside which we fail to notice in chapter 22 and verse 6. And the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. Oh. One said, I have business, and said, I have oxen, and said, I have got married and all that. But, something else was there. There was another group. What kind of a wedding is that? You can just say, I am not coming. I am not interested in your wedding, right? What kind of a person would kill the servants who came with a wedding invitation? But isn't that what has been happening for thousands of years? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household shall be saved. And you can be prepared and be ready for the wedding feast. And they kill them. Every day you hear them. Beaten up on the streets. Executed. Killed. For this. Spitefully. And killed them. What happens? You remember, we are doing Thessalonians and we came here. Why did we come here? Because this is how Thessalonians talk about. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which also effectively works in those who believe. He says, when we came and preached to you about his second coming, and to be prepared. You received it exactly as the word of God and you prepared yourself. Therefore it worked in you. So we are glad, extremely proud of you because you are allowing the word of God to work in you through your obedience and through your preparation. But, next verses. But for you brethren became imitators of the church of God which are in Judea and Christ Jesus for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. And who killed what? Both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets have persecuted us. They do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up to the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. They killed Jesus. They killed the prophets. They drove them, persecuted and drove them out of Jerusalem and every city. They were hostile to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be also be saved. The last one is a greater sin. For not only refusing the salvation offered by Jesus, but trying to keep others from hearing and believing. Getting the picture? 
Now go back to Matthew 12, uh, 22, verse 6 and 7. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. These are the ones going with the invitation, you kill them. Okay, we are not coming. and We don't want you to go to others too. We want to let you go to others too. They kill the servants of God. And what does verse 7 say? When the king heard about it, it was he was furious. And he sent out of his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Let me ask you this question. Did this happen before the feast or after the feast? Happened before the feast. You go back and check the history of 2000 years. Every place, every nation who has killed his servants, God has judged them before time. It is one thing. You touch my servant, I will come after you. I'll come after you. It will be a natural calamity, it will be an earthquake, it will be a cyclone, it will be a typhoon, it will be a massive fire. Whatever judgment will come if they don't repent. That's the history. By the time God finished the judgment, Roman Empire was no more. Finished them up. The strongest, most powerful empire ever known. God destroyed them completely because they killed his apostles and his servants. Communist Russia was no more. Eastern Europe was no more. And there are other nations now getting ready to face the wrath of God for touching his servants. He says, there is a tipping time. I've said there is a tipping. The cup gets filled. I will judge them beforehand. Nations, I will judge. This is history. In this parable, it's got a whole lot of things which we realize actually happened. Even our country. Remember that old poor man and his two children who were put into a jeep and burned? Do you know what hit Orisa a few months later? How many thousands died in the cyclone that hit Orisa a little later? He says, one thing you do, either receive or ignore. Don't kill my servants. Don't kill my servants. Don't kill my servants. He says, you kill my servants, you don't repent. I will send my angelic host. You look through the Bible, he's the one who holds the winds back, he's the one who holds the waters back, he's the one who holds calamities back. He says, release it. We don't hold them back because they touch my servants. So we look through it all and we see this and we lift our heads and say, Lord, thank you, Lord, my redemption is near. I don't take you lightly. You are very serious, Lord. You mean what you say and you say what you mean. Let me not get so preoccupied with my occupation. Let me really understand. You are the substance. You are the substance. Rest is all shadows. Everything I'm chasing is a shadow, is a mirage. The day you come, all is over. And the substance, the reality begins. And when the reality, the real life begins, Lord, I don't want to be on the wrong side. I want to be on the right side. That's how we prepare. That's what he's talking about the Thessalonian church. You are a model church. You had a suffering model leadership and you have suffered much. Just what the apostles went through, you as a church is also suffering because you are chasing what is true. The substance and not the shadows. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. 
We just come to you, Father, the song we sang before the message. And now the message, I pray, Father, that we hear what you are saying. That we keep on examining ourselves. For your word says, Corinthians 15, 5, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. And it gives the answer too, if we are in the faith, then Christ Jesus is found in us. That's the only answer. Christ in us. Otherwise we are reprobates. You're not looking for anything in us when you examine ourselves. Whether Christ is in us. Whether he has grown in us. Whether he has matured in us. Therefore you tarry to come. So that the blind, the maimed, the crippled all can get in. And those who are in can bring in more fruit. 30 fold to 60, 60 to 100. So that nobody is caught unawares, unprepared. Help us to take heed to your warning seriously. Because the day of the Lord is closer today than ever before. Let there be a quickening in our hearts, in our inner man. And let us not be weighed down by the life around us. But keep our eyes fixed on you and you alone, O Lord. Thank you, Father. You brought us safely. I pray you take us all back safely. Pray for those who are ill in the body of Christ. So many children not well. I pray, Father, that your word would go forth and touch them and heal them too. And strengthen every weak, every infirm body. Thank you, thank you, Father. I just bless your holy name. Just bless your holy name. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen, amen.